0: Thank you for tuning in to Sparks and Honey's Daily Culture Briefing. My name is Ben Grinspan, and today we're going to be looking at culture in the vertical, using Q, our cultural intelligence platform, to unpack trends and changes in human behavior. Uh, and uh, today we are digging into Gen Z signs of success. Should be a really interesting topic. Um, you know, we, we wanted to, to look at something that was a little bit at that intersection of uh, where Gen Z wants to go and how they want to get there. And we realized the best way of doing that was to take a second and figure out, well, what do, what do they want? What do they feel like? Uh, what does success look for them? what is the word you're gonna hear the word aspiration a lot today, I think. So have an amazing crew uh, today together to help me go through this. My co briefer Matt we are also joined by our uh, by our internal cast of experts Christian, Trevor, Camillo and Carrera. Um, and we can uh, we can dive on in uh, for today's briefing and I, I think we got to start as we always do with a, this sort of big question that we're trying to answer today, right This is how we like to start all of our projects. So we can consider that here too. So really what are those Gen Z markers of success and how do these aspirations reflect the generation's values, beliefs, and really their cultural need states? So this is our big question today. You know, I don't anticipate we're going to get the perfect answer, but I'm really looking forward to the insights that we pull forward here. So as always, that means we turn on our cultural intelligence system, uh, building out a Boolean that looks uh, basically at, as I was just getting at, that kind of intersection of Gen Z Z terms and success. We pulled in tens of thousands of signals. You can see we got a lot of actually digital, uh, a lot of global content here, uh, which I love. Something popping in from Fiji. Always got to know what those Fijian Gen Zers are up to. But instead of going through, you know, 20,000 articles, I thought we'd let the robots do that for us. And look here at our zeitgeist map. So for uh, we have some special guests in the audience today. This is our way of, of crunching all of that data to figure out what trends from our proprietary trendset set. Uh, Uh, are are appearing most frequently in this story. So these are actually an aggregate, but you can see polarization is our our top trend. There's lots of interesting things going on here because in some ways, we are looking at a really complex question, right? Like, how do you define success? It's hard enough to talk about what success is. Figuring out what it means for another generation across markets, across, uh, you know, ideologies like we're seeing here with polarization uh, is, is pretty complex. So I thought we would maybe identify, usually we just look at these and go, which do we feel like are the most important? But today I thought I might ask some of our my, my castmates here uh, to jump on in. One of the uh, elements of culture that's, uh, that's right down there, the 3.8%, is icon toppling. So, Carrera, what is icon toppling and why might we be talking about it today?
1: Yeah, I think in this context, when we think of icons of success, we might think of the American dream or the four-year degree or a debt-free lifestyle, you know, the home with the picket fence and the 2.5 kids. Um, I think Gen Z is is rethinking these icons. They're toppling them. Maybe they're not going to college. Maybe they're getting nano degrees or they're taking apprenticeships, trade school. Um, And maybe they're redefining what the American dream looks like for them. Maybe it's just being debt-free is is the new American dream. (laughs) Um, But... That's that's what I think of when
0: I think of icon toppling. Amazing. Okay, so let's talk about a related one there. It's a Sparks and Honey briefing. We're going get into cannabis early today. You can see there's uh, taboo toppling up there. Uh, Trevor, tell us what taboo toppling is and why it might be appearing in this search.
2: Yeah, so for taboo toppling, we're going to be considering a lot of, whether it's success, whether it's a product, whether it's just generally something that has a social stigma around it. Historically, that Gen Z is going to be coming in, and if they're influencing it in a way of being just generally more accepting around it, whether that's being a global st- citizen uh, instead of a citizen of your country, and Mm -hmm. also how you're viewing those global power dynamics outside of that. So whether it's getting into sex work or maybe dealing newly legalized substances, or if it's viewing China as a larger power than the U.S., there are a lot of things that have been established for a long time that Gen Z is going to be confronting in the decades to come.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because we were talking about this a little bit earlier, and Camillo helpfully reminded us that every generation thinks they're doing uh, taboo toppling for the (laughs) first time. But I think today we'll figure out what that really means to Gen Z. Okay, one more here, I said we'd talk about aspiration. We were talking about some, we were listening to some rappers earlier. Christian, tell us about maximalism and how that relates to today's stories. we think about success.
3: Yeah, so maximalism is what you're going to see, that 2.3 little unicorn right there in the corner. Maximalism has to do a lot about cultural perception, but almost a little bit more about cultural pressures, Mm -hmm. about what are the cultural attentions to what does success look like and how do you magnify that? And I think when you think about that, you can think about TikTok sort of aspirational concepts of what it means to be like the it girl working in marketing who's like 24 years old and lives in New York City. And like, what does that sort of magnified level of success, like how does it take to get there? Does it take a four-year degree? Can you get there through an apprenticeship? Can you get there if you're lower income? Like there's a lot of uh, pressures where you feel like you have to reach a certain level of success and maximalism really kind of tags itself to that cultural attention where you want that success to be bigger and better and more glorified than ever before.
0: Yeah, exactly.
3: Well, so the one other thing that we can do today,
0: because again, this is a complex topic, is to look into a little bit into the future. One thing that's uh, fun that we get to do here is this prediction map, right? So we our, our system can crunch all of those thousands of articles and do data regression to understand where those trends are going to end up in the next 12 and 24 months. And uh, you'll see right now, I, I've thrown in a couple other ones there, some stuff about, some trends about digital life, some some trends, kidult about, you know, trying to figure out what it means to be a both mature and immature at the same time. So if we jump two years into the future, uh, you can see the, the, the elements of culture that move to the right here. Um, are the ones that are going to have faster growth patterns, right? And so as we move further out, part of the reason that we focused on icon toppling and taboo toppling is that even as we think about maximalism, we think about design and important, I don't know, financial things that define what success is, the fastest growing trends here, outside of the conversation we're going to have, just in general, in culture, are those ones around icon toppling and taboo Mm -hmm. toppling. So if you're a brand, if you're an organization, and you're interested in understanding what Gen Z finds successful, those are the trends the ones around bringing down taboos, thinking about what it means to be a hero, a, a someone or a someone uh, who to look up to, and, and the paragon of success, that's where this conversation is going to head. So with that in mind, we actually have the perfect signal for this, and I'm going to ask Matt to take us through two different signals here. We'll talk about them, and then we'll uh, jump in on the other end, and we'll start here uh, with the pushback against hustle culture.
4: Exactly. So going off of the icon toppling EOC that we have there, this First one, Gen Z is turning away from hustle culture and moving towards hashtag anti-work. So what does that mean, anti-work? So if you remember in March 2022, when Kim Kardashian spoke the famous words, nobody wants to work anymore, which instantly received backlash, which is understandable because there's so much tension around that in our culture. So does this really mean that nobody wants to work or are there deeper stakes at play? So we are seeing that Gen Z is leading the charge and turning away from hustle culture towards anti culture, which is exasperated because of the pandemic, which has many, which had many employers overworking their employees and leading to burnout and turn, and turn, turnover. So. Hashtag anti-work has different meanings. There's always a tension within everything. So for some people, it's the idea that work is miserable, so no one should have to do that. And for other people, it means putting our own individual needs in front of the needs of the employer. Um, So that has been a huge context within the Gen Z and the the work movement. So for our next signal, um, we have the demise of the hashtag girl boss. And this term was coined by Nasty Girl founder, Sophia Amoroso, and quickly became synonymous with hashtag hustle culture. Um, and the term was poised to be a rallying cry against the fact that the game is rigged against women, which is very true when we think about patriarchy. Um, and, you know, women are just as capable as men. However, hashtag girlboss went from an empowering idea to one that became a shorthand for fake woke feminism. Hmm. And for some, of the, some, for some this idea was a lot of pressure to be incredibly successful and perfect all the time, while others, especially for those who are of the immigrant identity, like myself, um, it's, it's especially poignant because it's a great way to emphasize the work that goes into being here in America. Mm. Uh, so question for the panel, um, since you know, this is the first question, I would love to ground us and see where we are personally with the tension of hashtag uh, hustle culture and anti-work. Um, where are you all? personally with this with this tension between the two and then on top of that uh, what are some of the driving forces for Gen Z that exacerbate this tension um, does new technology or economic models come into play with that mm-hmm. so,
1: yeah. well, I think it's interesting to tag this even to another EOC that we have another element of culture um, which is meme culture and so in this sense we're seeing how memes online that exists purely in um, online discourse are having a real effect on the workplace and mm-hmm. the incoming labor force is kind of being affected by a lot of the conversations around anti-work and actually, yeah, maybe I don't want to, like, work nine to 12, like maybe I do want just a job, uh, maybe I define success as a job that like, is just like nine to five, I go home and then I mm. prioritize family or self care or all these other things. So I, I, I'm always interested to see how memes kind of step out of online realms into tangible mm. effects on culture.
0: Well, if I can build on that, I mean one thing, I, I, I just did this presentation and, and we were talking about that meme culture EOC and you know one thing, cause I, I read this article that laid this out very nicely, is that memes are really important um, they're not just means of entertaining ourselves, right? Memes break through when they express something that we don't have the words to express ourselves, right? And that's so often important when you're thinking, sometimes it's just about, you know, day-to-day life or, or something dumb in the news. But when it hits values, that's where it's really important. And I can't help but think about this particular signal about hashtag girl boss and also think about the news that came out two weeks ago about the Supreme Court and all of this conversation that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was this huge figure for millennials. People, they were actually figures and and halloween costumes and you know and there are people who blame her for the situation that we're in so this ultimate girl boss has sort of fallen and i, I think what's important about that meme culture is the idea that if um, if something stops serving your values it is no longer a, a meme that anyone wants to
3: participate with and that's what i think has happened to yeah. girl boss and in some ways to hustle culture as well I think that's absolutely, like, the cornerstone of what it is that we're looking at. We're looking at ultimate value shifts. And for Gen Z, we're looking at values shifting from not just, like, they're not willing to spin their wheels or do busy work or uh, things like that that they can't immediately tie value back to. They want to see an immediate return. I mean, we have to remember this is the instant gratification generation. Uh, Like, we're so used to having our short attention spans or our little dopamine bursts, things like that. Like, we want to see not just value, but we want to see the return on what it is that our work is providing us. Like, almost immediately and whether that's literally like you know a good paycheck or if that's like oh i had a very picturesque day that i logged on my tiktok and now i'm like trending like that's that's something that is going to be folded into those um, analyses of what success looks like yeah. for Gen Zers.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. sweat equity alone is not enough to say something is successful for, for Gen Zers. Absolutely, sweat
1: equity.
0: Sweat equity, yes, sweat-quity. exactly. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Thank you. not everybody feels this way. I don't want to feel like anti-work is the only thing that defines what Gen Zers are. So let's talk about this group of Gen Zers who have done an amazing job um, finding perhaps their own voice in a, in a new hustle culture, the hustle culture 2.0. Yeah,
4: so hustle culture in China looks a lot different. There's a lot of talk about the 9 to 5, the 5 to 9, um, which a lot of people are into. um, But in this case in particular, um, a lot of e-commerce influencers are making millions of dollars off of live shopping. Um, So this has been a huge change in working habits. Um, And Chinese e-commerce influencers are redefining what success means um, and bringing billions of yuan through just by encouraging people to shop. Um, So the pandemic gave way to a boom in live streaming e-commerce, which has opened the door to a whole new career path. Um, And internet celebrities like the 29-year-old Austin Lee are dominating the sphere. Uh, Austin in particular rose to fame through selling lipstick, and through one of his 12.5 hour of, hours of live streaming, he earned the equivalent of 1.8 billion dollars, which is a lot of money. Uh, So when thinking about future career paths, it's easy to see how this can influence Chinese Gen Zers to think differently about their futures. Um, And even though streaming may look easy, flashy, and lucrative, entrepreneurs are still hard working, and they have to keep up with the times post-pandemic, which means that you're constantly learning in in an entrepreneurship uh, experience. So another question for the team, Uh, this signal reminds me again of icon toppling, you know, taking down those old ways of working. Mm. So in the US, a lot of young people are asked about their dream career and say that, you know, I wanna be a YouTuber or influencer or live streamer, but how do you think these dream paths and innovations will shake up the education industry and also the job market as we know it today?
5: I think, if I can, yeah, if I can jump in, uh, I think that this signal sort of reminds us that anti-work is not necessarily anti-work ethic; mm-hmm. it's more anti-work structure. And the and this is just my read from the outside in. I mean, you guys are in the in the in the generation, uh, so you tell me. But you know, from from my perspective, what you could see in the side guys map at the beginning, every single. uh, Of those trends, and and that's you know I think we were looking at the top sixteen out of a hundred and ten trends. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Every single one of them had an element of resistance to uh, structure, right? So we saw like new masculinity, for example, blur ID. uh, We saw perceptual diversity. uh, So all of them had like this little flavor of. You know, I, I'm, it's not that I'm against work. It's that I'm against the structure that has been put around work. It's about the. It's, it's not that I don't want to work eight hours a day. I don't want to work nine to five, right? And I think that when you look at the case, the extreme case of uh, Taobao in China, which is driven by social commerce, right, where you are your business, right, to yeah. to in, in a in a in a in a very sort of personified way, you can translate that also. To the world of, you know, influencers, more you know, traditional in the West, right, where you're working 24/7, your life yeah. is what you do, right? Uh, or even even take it into the world of esports, right? There is not, like uh, a space where Gen Z uh, is is more engaged that, than esports that is that is not about work. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think that 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 you know that that signals I think a, a really uh, um, a profound sort of work ethic and commitment to work, at the same time that there is a rejection to the work structures around it. Well,
0: and I think I, I totally agree with you saying. Also, you're totally right. If you are a brand, you are working 24 hours a day. That's your. That's, I don't. I, I hope every influencer, wannabe influencer, knows yeah. that. Um, I think you're totally right about that. And I think certainly here in in the U.S., but increasingly in other places in the world, we'll get to that in our next signal. I mean, the whole the whole deal for for 30 years in the 40s, 50s, and 60s was. The harder you, if you work hard, you will be successful, right? And I think millennials were the first generation to hit, for, to hit the wall on that and be like, I'm working my butt off. I'm not getting anywhere. And I think what's really interesting about this, specifically for Gen Z, is they are the first people to enter into that workforce knowing that their hard work may not get them where they need to go. I should also point out that that is like a deeply, like I, I say that as like a white person with a ton of privilege and that not everyone has lived in a society where the harder the work, the more success you're going to get. But you were expected to get somewhere, right? Yeah. And, and now I think to everyone's different degree, you do get this sense that I gotta work smarter. I, I You know, it's not, the work itself is not going to get me the success.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that that's where the rejection of hustle culture comes from though, because if we're looking at the surrounding environment that leads to what is creating the situation that people feel they need to engage with that, Gen Z, as a Gen Z, rejects that because we go, well, systemically, the reason that I'm doing this is as a means of survival a lot of the time. Like sometimes it can be a significant hobby or passion, but there are some people that require those extra hustles on the side to actually just get through their day-to-day. Christ. So while there is a rejection of structure, it isn't structure entirely. There's still a structure to doing this sort of entrepreneurial venture. There's structure to these, uh, whatever strategies we may be creating, it's the structure that is currently in place that no longer has those social supports that previous generations had. Totally. Mm. Hannah,
0: do you wanna add something real quick? Yeah, I have a-
1: is because this whole like, supply and demand issue on influence is pretty interesting when you think about it because if you have this new generation coming up and everyone wants to have their own influence, we're at this kind of like weird, pivotal moment in time where where if everyone's
0: influencing, where does the influence actually go? Right, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's. Are you, are you, are you, <laughs> you just that that's influencer inflation? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think is the term. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: OK, all right. OC.
2: Is that just democracy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, so one last signal here as we think about these really big, heady topics before we move into some maybe more specific ones. Um, I did just want to point out this article again. You know, we saw all that global content in our, in our search. So I think one thing we want to do here is make it clear that. Like Gen Zers don't just exist in the U.S., right? And they just don't exist in, in the real, in the in the wealthy world. And uh, I will, I will put out this really interesting study that came out from uh, European Gen Zers, right? Uh, and what this article found was that basically we've seen a really big shift in how they view the world. For Gen, you know, for, for European Gen Xers, they were they were marked by the Cold War, right? You were either in the rich democratic side or the communist side, and that's how you decided which section was the successful model, which one you wanted to participate in. That said, uh, European Gen Zers are now living in a multipolar world. and the survey confirms that they see America as culturally important but not as a big political or economic hegemon. They are much more favorable to China than uh, people than older people uh, in Europe. and you know they just see the world as being a lot flatter. And I think one, you, they you know I think we can forgive them for that in part because the internet and technology has made it so flat. How many people how many 12 year old Germans have been uh, chatting across the world with other you know teenagers in, uh, in Australia and Canada? Uh, in a way that generations before them haven't. so before we move on to our uh, you know a couple other topics here I, I did want to ask that question about flatness mm. and if the world is so flat, does that mean that Gen Zers around the globe from you know from from Liechtenstein to Lisbon um, are they going to see what's successful as the same is, is success informed by the by the global media that you uh, you know that you, you take in or is it different and changes market to market?
2: I think that there are two, if we're going to consider it, because we're talking about governmental or national, however you want to label these spheres, there's the policy consideration and there's also the social consideration. As a Gen Z person, I've had a WeChat since I was 17 years old, because my first roommate was from China, and so immediately while I was still a minor, I was having this engagement on other social networks that were not U.S. based and handling these things. But also, whenever we're looking at this in terms of polarity, whenever we're considering the power dynamics of the world. I'm not surprised that we see greater respect for China and Europe now because they are putting in green infrastructure. They're doing Hmm. these things that America used to be this pillar of innovation and support for the world in a way. Uh, But whenever we're considering it in Europe right now, there's a lot more engagement there, whereas the previous administration in the U.S. was a lot more withdrawn. There was less support going through. So it's not surprising, and I think that as we're going forward with international policy and international engagement, we need to really keep an eye on how we're treating ourselves as America if we still want to be even at the table, not even number one anymore.
0: Yeah, if we want to be seeing that keyword aspirational. Okay. So, you know, we do want to talk about education here because obviously th- wanting to be successful does not necessarily make you successful. There's training uh, and education that's that's involved. So uh, let's move on to this education block here. And um, uh, one thing we like to talk about here at Sparks and Honey is sometimes you'll get the data back and you'll be like, maybe the lack of data is actually what the insight is here. And this is a little, this is one of those signals that does a pretty good job with that. I'm going to pop it open here. So this is a survey um, that, uh, I'm not going to want that. This is a survey that, um, uh, that lets us see basically what, uh, what skills Gen Zers uh, want in particular that they didn't have access to. Um, let me get this open and what we find here as I get this as we get to this data is this idea that the skills that they wish they were taught in school are not they're not the hard uh, sort of learning that you might expect it's a lot of the soft learning and interestingly it's really associated with emotional and even physical safety so let's look at this really quick here so what real life skills did Gen Z want to learn in school but aren't currently learning well you'll find the top one is skills around mental health self-defense is on the which to me is very grim, but it needs to be there. Um, Other things like communication skills, emotional intelligence, basics of law, Um, this idea that basically there are a number of human skills that people really want to learn that you're just not going to learn in algebra class. And they give, there is millennial data down there. I I genuinely think it looks different because these are different life stages, and I actually kind of disagree with some of the the way they they pull this information in. But I guess my question is, how do we unpack this finding here that these emotional emotional skills are things that Gen Z really wants to learn in school and they aren't. What does that suggest about the generation that they feel like this is a successful skill people should have, but also don't necessarily have access to it? And Matt, I might pick on you first.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I think one thing for me that stood out was when it comes to mental health, When it comes to the workplace, we're all battling our mental health and the things that come with anxiety or the things that come with depression that we deal with because of our workspaces. So because of flattening and because people are able to see exactly how you know, millennials or you know older Gen Zers are functioning in the workplace. They know that mental health will be critical mm-hmm. to their success in the future. So I can see why that's at the top there.
3: I think honestly, it it can almost go a little bit more um, further down the the Maslow's hierarchy than that. I really <laughs> do feel like it's because how, how how do you how do you become successful if you're not healthy? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, the underlying okay. thing that a lot of Gen Z is, like, grappling with is, like, I don't feel good. I don't feel mentally and emotionally stable and I can't even envision what success yeah. looks like for me if I'm this emotionally distraught. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it, this, to me, it is as much of a, hey, this is something that I would like to learn, but this is something that I need. Yeah. This is something that is go- the, going to need at the, going to need to be at the bottom of, like, every single thing that I learned throughout my life because it's becoming uh, a serious detriment, not just to my well-being day to day, but like my actual health and like my longevity as like how long I, I, I can be happy as a person. Do you have a guest coming?
6: Uh, I do, it connects to the anti-work piece before too. The skills that people are learning in school today are more the hard skills of, I'm gonna become an engineer, I'm gonna be a doctor, yeah. I have this nine to five job that I'm gonna go to work every day and do the same thing and that work structure you talked about. The skills they're asking to learn about are what are the things that bring value to their life, to what mm-hmm. you guys were talking about of actually the value is in healthy relationships and actual true health, Um, it's not the skills to be able to get that job to go grind Nine to
3: five every day. Yeah, I, exactly. I think that's very well said. Um, and I would I would also add like just even as we were talking about, or I guess I was talking about the that sort of like it girl uh, archetype of like what people like envision success as. They don't lose that that you you'd be remiss to not look at those TikToks and see that they're also going out with their friends and they're also like engaging with their family. They're like making t- and like that is what success looks like, as yeah. much as it is like money, power, and glory. It's like what is that without community? What what is that without emotional and mental health? And like that's almost almost as big or even bigger a pillar of success yeah. as you know, however much money you can make down the line. It's mm. it's a level of balance. Trevor, do you want to finish us real quick?
2: I do. That, it's the collectivism point that you're getting into there, because all of the previous points that you had on that self-preservation, the self-health, all of those things Gen Z also wants to see applied to the people around them, and that's where we see the rise of, like, curriculums of compassion. Personally, Dr. Thupten Jinpa, any Jinpa heads out there? Um, it's, <laughs> it's a way. It's a wave that we're seeing of looking at these ideals not just as a soft skill that is slowly developed, but that personally, and this is something that gets discussed more, compassion, almost in the way that you a language that mm. you're coming back to it with consistent practice that you're learning these tools Absolutely. and these skills to help support that yeah and Gen Z wants to apply that not just to themselves into their own self-care but also communally
0: and it's a different let's be real it's also a different kind of learning than, you know pre-calc right yeah. like it's uh, it, I love the term it's kind of like a muscle uh, one last guest comment did you want to add something I was just
2: curious to know
5: like how do you foresee um, like the role of a teacher is it gonna be would, for Gen Z, it might not be a teacher, it might be an influencer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, um, who's informing that that person's an expert? Mm-hmm. Um, you I, know? I tell you, for, from, from my perspective, yeah. uh, 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 you know, it's, it connects to the role of the leader in an organization, right? Which is, I think is trending more towards the side of servant leadership, right? Of being a facilitator, of being less of a, of a figure of authority and, and more of enabling, like making connections, right? And, uh, you know, I think that that perhaps connects better with the hands-on type of learning style uh, that we're seeing, you know, and you could see even in the, in the list, I mean, the, there were like, you know, a great deal of, of, of the areas that Gen Z want, wants to learn are about self-care and, and, but there's also like a lot of trade in there, like sewing, cooking, like fixing your car, yeah. And, and you know you could argue that those are you know a reflection of a generation that grew up with access to digital technology which makes you a creator by default mm. right your first act uh, of participation in the media is of you creating something right so how do you translate that into the physical world right and uh, so, so, so the teachers need to then encourage that or enable it yeah
0: let's actually so let's rearrange a tiny bit. Yeah.
5: Since, we, since you brought this up,
0: let's actually talk about that right now, and the I, you guys knew we had to get to TikTok at some point um, let's talk about TikTok and, uh, and the role it plays here, and perhaps the difference between learning and education.
4: Yeah, um, this is huge because, you know, TikTok, 60% of the users are Gen Z, and many of them are trying to figure out the world around them, um, as the workforce has dramatically changed after the pandemic so, in this signal here, we have Hannah Williams, um, who has six videos on TikTok that blew up because she's asking people, what do you do, and how much do you make? And this is really getting Gen Z hyped because they are—they want to know what are the realities that come with the workforce that we're going into, um, and also talking about salary is seen as a huge taboo. So breaking this, you know, taboo toppling here, right, is a huge measure of how we're able to get people to understand where they're going. And social media has provided grounds for Gen Z to learn points of views um, and industry um, at the flick of a finger, whereas traditional education requires very rigid boundaries um, that dictate what, when, and how fast you can learn. With time taking, many Gen Zers are trying to find social media. Well, they find Gen Z, uh, social media as their best ally in taking on an ever-changing world. Hmm. Um, so, you know, question for the panel. Based off what we were talking about, who, how do we know who's an expert? What are the pros and cons to learning via social media? And uh, what, might that, what effect might that have on brands as they enter into this space, too?
1: One thing I've noticed Mm -hmm. is like, um, learning as entertainment and this whole shift, I think, like, Vox started doing those. They put them on YouTube. It's like a 20-minute explainer on stuff. Yes. Or, and that's, that's like, channeled all the way through TikTok. There's people who will explain to you the history of certain words, the history of certain mm. colors or uh, clothing items. People are fascinated with the histories. And, be- and it's become so ingrained in entertainment that it's interesting to see it on TikTok. And that's a pro. People are interested in, in learning and how learning then merges with, like, high production value or even just like authenticity if it's just someone that you trust um, in a peer-to-peer relationship online.
0: So, well, I, I, I love that. There is a quick <laughs> thing I want to jump in on here because I, and, and maybe this is just to stir the pot a little bit. The other day I saw a YouTube, well, not the other day. Well, about a year ago, I saw a YouTube video where a, a, a nurse was taking down, a a, a a nurse on TikTok was taking down another TikTok that was full of medical misinformation. And I was watching and I was going, that's so great. She's doing such an amazing job with this stuff. And then I was like, but not everyone's going to see that secondary TikTok. So mm. one question I might have for, for you guys is, where does Trust in that because you can take down an icon but then the question is like do you do you trust with the information that you're getting from uh, from someone like this it's not a huge deal with your salary but if you're trying to figure out you know your your path in life that's a big deal
3: isn't it so that was something that i wanted to touch on is like we're seeing um, a, a, a certain level of uh Curriculum uh, kind of advancing toward not just like, you know data and like internet privacy but also toward literacy And I think Mm -hmm. like especially as we're thinking about misinformation like literally I just remember yesterday One of my roommates was like oh, I heard that this thing like it's a really great way to keep your avocados ripe You like put it in water and you put it in the fridge and you leave it there and it stays right for a long time And then my other friend was like the FDA just said that if you do that you might get listeria and die Wow, Um, (laughs) and I was like, okay awesome, but if you didn't see the 2nd TikTok denouncing the 1st TikTok Right. <laughs> like I don't know how I don't know how well you're gonna be. But like that's the thing, that's the the learning that we need to take away from that is like it has so much to do with literacy and mm-hmm. it's not just like, you know, misinformation and like spreading of information, but so much to just do with like how do you mm-hmm. as a person take that, look yeah. at like one person's learning from that, and then say, Okay, maybe I should do my own research on it. And I think that's the thing that TikTok is kind of battling with, is like you deal with like a large breadth of information, but with a little bit of depth. Yeah. And like, and, and I think that's the thing that we need to encourage more of is like you need to deepen upon like the things like the histories of clothes. If you're super interested in those clothes, like maybe deep it, like, you know, maybe look into like fashion and textiles, like uh, textbooks or programs or things like that. Like you can deepen your your understanding of things. And I think that's where we're like seeing that battle between Gen Z, their own attention span and uh, how TikTok kind of like helps and like create a safer and more um, yeah. literate space.
0: Yeah, I mean, and if just very quickly, if I were a brand in the edge Education space with a trusted, uh, you know, with, with a trusted brand name. I would ask myself, how do I get the best out of that breadth, like you were saying, and leverage my depth? Mm-hmm. Katie, did you want to add a final thought here?
6: Yeah. Uh, something I find really interesting about this, if you're thinking of it, uh, if you're thinking of consuming learning from social media spacing this kind of uh, spaces being a kind of risky thing. Mm-hmm. I think the the fact, if you think about like integrated advertising and things like that, where um, influencers may come across as more real, more authentic. Um, they might actually be influenced by outside sources that you're not seeing but from the video. Yeah. Um, they might be saying something that they don't truly really believe in because um, they're being sponsored or something like that. So when you're talking about the spread of information, it's um, interesting to think about how uh, the external influences can be kind of invisible.
0: Although I suppose that's true of traditional education, too. Yeah. Um,
5: Let's look at two more. One more
4: comment. Do we have one? Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, actually in terms of researching on on, uh, TikTok, I actually think there's an argument to be made uh, for uh, width as opposed to depth. I think that uh, there's actually a danger if you pick uh, one or two specific uh, creators that you get your information from that yeah. don't uh, have access to alternative points of view. I think there's something to be said for crowdsourcing uh, mm-hmm. your knowledge. If you yeah. ask enough people uh, you know how to keep an avocado longer, <laughs> you know, eventually somebody's gotta know. But that's the thing about the out. Al- you're totally right about that. But that's the thing about that
0: algorithm, is that if you're ju- I mean, TikTok hands you information from one person, right? Whereas there are other platforms like Reddit or, or Discord or whatever, where you get sort of that group who's gonna tell you to do that. If you had put that avocado hack on Reddit, there would be nine people writing about whether mm. or not that was true. Yeah. And so that's that that horizontal that we're, we're talking about a little bit I also just wanna
2: to touch on very- quickly the obvious but most difficult solution to this which is just greater support from companies from the public generally to these companies on misinformation policy and yeah. reinforcing that effective and legitimate information is actually being circulated. So let's move to one other uh, one sort
0: of final signal here. Um, I actually pulled this from one of our Mexican sources um, and you uh, would you mind doing a little translating for for us just so they can see how, far, how fresh this signal is?
5: <laughs> Tra- travel being Uh, Number one goal for uh, Gen Z Yes. Is it in Mexico? It or? is in
0: Mexico, yeah, okay. yeah. So, a signal here pulled from our from our global system. Um, and one thing we found, this finds out is that while uh, U.S. and French Gen Zers are obsessed with going to Tulum, it's worth n- noting that the travel industry uh, is now paying attention to a very different market, and that's actual Gen Zers in Mexico, not Gen Zers traveling to Mexico. So a recent survey of Mexican ages 16 to 24, a demographic that is very deeply online, um, finds that they have a real... Really robust taste, uh, both for travel-heavy platforms like Instagram and TikTok, but also that they fundamentally want to do it. 78% of Mexicans between the ages of 16 and 24 prioritize traveling and getting to know the world more than any other life goal. So what's with this new interest? Well, it turns out that Mexican Gen Zers see travel as being part of... um, becoming worldly and worldliness and cosmopolitanism being a really critical sign of success mm-hmm. and while this is something that I think you know people in Europe and people in, in parts of North America have felt for a really long time it's really worth noting that this is coming from an emerging economy right Mexico has millions of people a year entering into these sort of wealthier uh, middle-class backgrounds you're seeing the same thing pop up in Brazil in Indonesia and in Vietnam and one thing that has been emerging in this space is this sense that if I don't see the world I'm not going to be worldly And Worldly is truly that level of success in that flatter, more digitally connected thing we're talking about. You may be, you know, Mexicans may follow all the same non-Mexican travel influencers that we do, and for the very first time, have the resources to go and do that. Now, there is a little tension here that I'm I'm curious with you guys about, because obviously we haven't talked about environmentalism yet, but obviously it's a really big part of what Gen Z sees as being a successful, well-rounded person. And, you know, seeing the world is a great thing for character development, but it can be hard on the environment and the idea of hundreds of millions of Gen Zers getting rich in Vietnam and, and you know, and, uh, I don't know, China and trying to fly all over the world, that's a lot as we think a lot about, about climate change. So where how do we how do we square that tension of the desire to be this worldly successful person, but also do it in a way that matches values and feels sustainable? And, and Camilla, I know you I asked you to kick us off. I'll, I'll start with you here for your response on this.
5: Well, I mean, I, 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 that's a- a really really difficult question in the sense that you know I mean the, the solving for um, uh, for the green issues that come with travel it's just not something that's going to happen yeah uh, you know at least in the in the very near future right? But, you know, we did some work in Mexico looking into, into specific, so, some of these trends around travel uh, as it relates to the domestic space, right? right? And uh, it so happens that, uh, you know, Mexico being a travel destination uh, was pretty much like devastated by the pandemic. Uh, and the, you know, the, the, essentially, you know, was a significant drop in international tourism. Um, and a lot of uh, Gen Zers took on themselves to sort of re- help revive uh, the tourism industry yeah. in Mexico through domestic travel mm. and you know Instagram and whatnot uh, in terms of like making that uh, visible as a movement, right? So I think that that you know going back to the question of success, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 this uh, idea that we've been hovering around around inf- influence inflation,
4: yeah. <laughs> uh, inflation
5: uh, yeah, you know, I mean that's that's definitely a case where you see you know young people. Uh, uh, using their influence and and their channels to support a cause uh, that's aligned with their values, right? And I think that's uh, something uh, worth uh, considering.
0: And that, just to piggyback off of that, that influencer inflation, which is going to change what success means, means that for if you're a Brazilian travel feed and you're and you're 18 and you're gonna try to go be famous you may be only able to do that only able you, you may be doing that in the um, in the Brazilian market but you may not hit those major major numbers and, that every other global person did because that space was taken up five yeah, years ago
5: yeah yeah and, and maybe maybe this is triggering a thought which is maybe that you know influence is an influencer it's sort of a, maybe a word that we should like abandon altogether mm, right yeah. maybe it's a millennial thing <laughs> 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 <It's> <laughs> um, and uh, speaking. And, from
0: all the millennials of the right world.
5: Yeah. right I, I mean and 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 just for gen z is a, a different thing right it's more about expression or it's, and it's more it, it's integrally co- connected with success mm-hmm. uh, you know we were just having a conversation before about you know medical school and and and, and students like learning wanted to learn how to be more effective oh, yeah. through social channels because you know, you want to be part of it, right? You want to have a say mm-hmm. and share what you with with the world out there and, you know, better you know, people who went to medical school than people yeah. who didn't, right?
0: It's like, it's, um, it's front-facing camera uh, behavior instead of, like, bedside manner. Exactly. You know? um, cool. Well, let's move, let's move to two final signals here just to talk a little bit about the world of work. We'd be remiss if we didn't get there because that's where a lot of people's success lands. And I'm going to allow myself, as the millennial on the panel, to be thoroughly roasted alive here uh, by talking about this really interesting <laughs> signal that comes out of uh, Vogue UK about um, perhaps some tensions in the workplace Uh, around that.
4: Yeah, I mean, when it comes to these tensions, it's about, you know, the fact that Gen Z aspires uh, to workplace equity and the question if millennials millennials are afraid of that. Um, But workplace equity is a hard pill to swallow because equity in and of itself is about being fair and impartial. And these systems that we've worked in, especially here in America, have been founded on some pretty unequitable Uh, foundations. So Gen Z wants to work in a socially impactful and creative company, um, but they want their time to be valued. And the biggest statement of their generation is that they're asking for what they want now, whereas millennials, uh, they took many years to feel comfortable to ask for what they want. And now they're seeing this new generation come in and say, this is what I want, and I want it now. Um, But the thing is, is that millennials aren't afraid of that, that we see in this this article here, because they've already paid their time, and they're doing what they need to do so this next generation is stepping into the dreams of the generation before them each generation is defined by their prede- the preceding decades and their dreams and their hopes and now Gen Zers I'm like a you know a younger millennial older Gen Zer I get to live into those values so uh, this is, you know, going to divide the panel a little bit. For for those of you who identify as a millennial, uh, do you have any insights that you want Gen Z to build on based off of what y'all have been working for? And for the Gen Z employees, what are some pressing issues that you want to see be addressed? Well, <laughs>
0: we prefer the term Americans of millennial experience. Yes. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, look, I, I actually think, I think the differences, I think we're kind of cutting, uh, we're splitting hairs oftentimes with this, right? Like the difference between how a 20, 20- 28-year-old sees the workplace, and no, a 26-year-old sees the workplace is much smaller than we might otherwise than uh, we might otherwise discuss here. I do think when it comes to equity, um, I think one thing that's really interesting is I think I think millennials view a workplace like they want to work somewhere that's really equitable and diverse, and that is something that like they say that they they want. We know there's good data to back that up. I think it's true. Mm. I think the difference is the Gen Zers, who are an even more diverse generation, and just as you said, are even more likely to speak to their values. Will not work somewhere that is not diverse. And that's the difference between finding success in something and asking yourself what success actually really looks like. Maybe a Gen Zer wants to weigh in. I have
2: two things. <laughs> yeah. One, we need to recognize the importance of incremental progress. So mm-hmm. as a Gen Z to a millennial, Thank you, because it is because of the things of past generations that we have the advancements that we have so that we can take those innovations further I completely agree with what you said about Gen Z's Um, as someone who is newer to Sparks and Honey Whenever I went into meetings with VPs or directors or anyone I went in and I said These are things that I will work on here are my values Mm -hmm. if I am not able to work on these I will not work here Mm -hmm. like directly to the point with leadership, here are the things that I am here to do, and if that isn't gonna work, I will find my place somewhere else. So I yeah. think, from my own personal experience, it is a very valid analysis to give. Yeah, and I think we've talked
3: about this on previous briefings. Like, um, there was a that New York Times article the, a couple months ago that was like, the 33-year-old managers are terrified of the 23-year-olds that work uh-huh. for them, um, which my manager promptly sent to me and was like, this is about you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I, and I and I have had to look at him and I was like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but, because I think that's the thing about Gen Z is like, we do have a lot of demands when it comes to, um, not just like our workplace, but like, how does this foster growth and yeah. uh, that in, foster into that vision of success that I have for myself? Yeah. So like, we just have a little bit, I guess, not necessarily more demands, but we are uh, a lot more critical, I believe.
0: Transparent in them. Yeah, absolutely. Um- Davion, I hate to pick on you, but we do have a millennial DEI expert right here, uh, Davian Harris, who is our a DEI, DEI policy lead. And I'd just be curious, Davian, in, just in the conversations you've had with clients here or, or, or elsewhere, have you seen this pop up? Do you feel like, there's, like there is some, a little bit of a disconnect in the generations between what a successful, equitable workplace looks like and what can... Organizations or brands or whatever institutions do to manage maybe a little bit of that tension.
6: I mean, I think you're you're all hitting on it, and where leaders have have struggled is the sort of theoretical aspects of DEI and equity, and you know whether that's the principles that they assert or what they talk about on social media, and then the realities that employees experience that you all are talking about or what consumers see and experience of the brand, and where there's a disconnect, then there's a problem, right? So there's the reconciliation. It's not that people, to your point, have differences in terms of what they want, whether it's a millennial that wants to work at a place that values equity, but are they going to double down and make a different decision and leave about it? Perhaps not, versus someone who is willing to put it all on the line to go somewhere else. And so I think that's where we're, we're sort of twixt in between in terms of brands and organizations needing to meet um, the sort of expectations or at least the values that they're asserting, making sure that their actions are, are yeah. aligned.
0: And of course, Camilla, I'm gonna ask you to end on here. Is that, does that require a level of, we've been talking about education and learning. Does that require some skill training from, from companies to ask themselves how they set up these spaces, you know?
5: Um, since you didn't mention Gen X, I didn't know if I was allowed to say anything. We always leave you behind. Practicing listening. (laughs) Um, I think, I think, you know, the honest answer is we don't know yet because, uh, you know, also remember that we are in a talent market, right? Um, that... Things might change, right? There might, might, or might not be a recession coming up. You see employers uh, reacting on the other side of the tension, right? Like Netflix, yeah, uh, uh, saying, "Hey, you better like our content, or you know where the door is." And uh, you know, there is a, I think, a healthy tension in there, right? Which is, you know, you have a generation with strong values, which I applaud, uh, coming into the workplace and you have uh, uh, managers and leaders who should be open and receptive to great talent, changing the organization, Mm -hmm. that's the whole point, right? Uh, But you're gonna find resistance somewhere, right? And, uh, you know, are we gonna, you know, back to your question, do do we need to train people? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, like, we're gonna start to see, we're at the very beginning of this shift where you have you know, up to even five generations in the same workplace, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that great companies are going to let, you know, their best uh, 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 talent shape them, right? And um, and I don't know that, that you can train <laughs> for yeah. that. You can brace yourself, <laughs> yeah. but you may not be able to train. Davianne, <laughs> last thought. Yeah,
6: because as you are talking about it, I think it also goes back to the study you saw um, where you pulled up about mental health and some of the other mm-hmm. aspects that aren't sort of traditional um, areas or skills that you would apply in the workplace. And I think as we're seeing Gen Xers where there was that clear separation of work and home or personal lives and then millennials were sort of blurring the lines and now where Gen Z's and really all of us whether it's remote work or sort of bringing that activism to the workplace and our values to the workplace I think that's also where you're seeing Mm. there needing to be that sort of blending of values and and roles in, in terms of how you show up at work and how you just behave as a person.
0: Yeah, love that. Um, I think we should move to wrap ups. Uh, This has been an absolutely scintillating conversation, but I didn't want to leave without figuring out kind of what those are. So I'm going to start with Carrera. Um, Carrera, you told us about icon toppling Uh, in the beginning. um, What is your takeaway about that trend specifically today? What would someone watching today who's interested in this sense of icon toppling and what it means for Gen Z and success, what's, what's your critical insight for them from this conversation?
1: Well, I might steal a Camillo's insight about how it's not so much tearing down the structures, but or at least resurrecting new structures around them. So all, all these structures to success that Gen Z is presented with are being reconfigured, rethought, reorganized to kind of fit a new and incoming idea for success. And, and it seems almost like a, a fracturing of what we do examine as success. There's no one way anymore. Um, and so I'd say pay attention to all those different um, those different structures that are emerging. Yeah, cool.
0: Uh, Trevor, let's talk about taboo toppling because that is related, but obviously taboo toppling and... Uh, icon toppling are a little bit different. What's your key insight about taboo toppling from our conversation and that really fast growing trend?
2: I think it's important to note that it's happening both at an individual level and at a wider social level because Mm -hmm. if we're considering Gen Z and their way to approaching things, whether that's bringing activism to the workplace or if it's discussing loneliness. If you missed yesterday's thing, go check it out. Um, But if you're going to be talking about just these different issues that past generations didn't have the willingness or the social wellness to discuss, it's going to be very important that you adapt that for Gen Z, but then also at a global level, whenever we're considering the flattening of the planet in a Gen Z, in a technical, in a metaversal sort of world, we're looking at a place where for the past almost century now you thought of America as number one, but maybe now you don't think that, and that is a taboo for a lot of people mm. that can come up. So politically at a international level, at a national level, yeah. and at a local and individual level is going to be very important. So Christian, thank you very much. Christian, um, You know, I think we've seen a lot
0: of signals today. We certainly just talked about the future of the workplace. We've definitely seen signals about finance and, and, you know... Gen Zers becoming sort of independent in themselves. What's the takeaway there about this generation as they as they enter work, as they become financially independent? What's, what's the big takeaway for that, uh, about that structure and even what it has to do with education, potentially?
3: It's that you just have to listen to them. They're telling you what they want. Okay. They're demanding the things that they want, and whether that's, like, on social media, whether that's on Reddit, on TikTok, or whatever, like, they're telling you and they're demanding that you listen. And the thing that I think is the powerful thing that might put everyone in the same sort of, uh, humbled perspective is that they're willing to go other places. It's like they're willing to may, they they may not want to go to your university because of a controversy that they had. They may not want to go to your program because it doesn't have this accredited uh, person that or alumni that had gone there and those are things that you have to pay attention to mm-hmm. because they're talking to each other and I think that's the big thing is like Gen Z is continually sharing and um comparing information, and and that's what you're up against.
0: You know, Matt, let me put you on the spot here too, because I I think that's really important. I guess I'm curious from you as well, because I want to just talk a little bit, I'd I'd love a takeaway about the learning aspect here, right? Um, Because I think you're right about education and universities, but those are institutions. What's the takeaway about learning and self-improvement and that sort of, that very personal sense of growth?
4: I think at the end of the day, humility is the value that we need to walk away with as we move into the future. Intergenerational learning is crucial to our success in business and to our success on this planet. If we don't learn from each other, we're not gonna grow. So as we, you know, take away from this, it's all about, like, ask people if you don't know something, check deeper if you see something that's said on TikTok. Like, don't just take that for, you know, on face Mm. value. Go and search deeper if it's interesting to you. I think the biggest thing that we need to push in the future is for people to be very honest with what they're about and to dive deeper into it. Don't be surface level about your interests you know, yeah. actually be about it and see what the future will hold with that, so. Okay. And Camillo, we've, ta-
0: uh, we've talked about Mexico, China, the, you know, just the, the fact that the world is, is flatter than ever. What's a global, what is a globally-minded takeaway from our conversation today?
5: I, I think that, you know, it's, it's not about influencer, it's about influence, right? Okay. And when, when you go back to the question of success, I think success for this generation, You know, not for everyone, but has a great deal of of connectivity with the idea of being influential and influence, whether it's your workplace and the environment around you through activism in the workplace, Mm. whether it's, you know, that nurse that's uh, taking down misinformation in TikTok Mm -hmm. or that person in Taobao uh, that's, uh, you know, selling lipstick. Uh, through, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> um I, I think I think that follow follow that trail of influence and I think you better understand uh, okay. this upcoming generation that's
0: Fabulous. Well, that's going to take us through our briefing for the day. A big shout out and a thank you to uh, to Carrera, Camillo, Trevor, Christian, and Matt. Thank you to everybody who, who spoke up today. Thank you guys for tuning in online. Uh, you can join us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on our LinkedIn page. That's New York time. While you're there, jump in the comments section. Let us know your thoughts on the day's subject, the the, the Taobao uh, profiles we need to follow, and the misinformation we need to be wary of on TikTok. If you're interested uh, in Q, our cultural intelligence uh, system that we use. To, to give ourselves quantitative and qualitative insights today, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to give you a demo. It is incredibly value whether, valuable whether we're talking about a small niche topic or something really big like the concept of success. So until tomorrow, when we talk about a new purpose for purpose, which is going to be really relevant to today's conversation, consider yourselves briefed.